Hey, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. It is a pro wrestling podcast. So what are we going to talk about here? Pro wrestling. That's right. I'm recording this on August 8th. We recorded it live here on YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. Uh, if you ever want to jump in, it, we record at 7 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday. So it's always a good time. It's fun. We take we, we interact a lot with the community. It's a lot of fun. So if you want to come and join in, we'd love to have you. It'd be great. Otherwise, thank you for listening on demand. Consider leaving a like here on YouTube and subscribe if this is your first time here as well. There's a lot of content that's been happening these days. We'd love to have you. Uh, just like uh, we'd enjoy having you on uh, on audio as well. Maybe you're listening to this on audio right now. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, five-star ratings on Spotify. All these little things help out a great deal, help grow the podcast, both in video and audio and so on and so forth. We'd love to have you. We'd also love to have you. Uh, we'd love to have you, uh, you know, come in live, right? But we'd also love to have you joining the Mr. Warren Hayes Show Discord. The link is in the description if you want to continue chatting about pro wrestling with, with people. And, uh, and look, there's a lot of stuff going on on the channel to begin with. The G1, I'm, we're going to talk about this later on in the show, but the G1 Climax is coming to an end, and so is my daily coverage. I've got, like, what, five days, four days of G1 content left, so that's upcoming, plus a collision review, plus a dynamite review, all coming up this week, so subscribe, join, follow, do whatever you can. You don't want to miss out on this stuff. I provide good analysis. I provide good thoughts. I provide energy and enthusiasm for pro wrestling. <laughs> That's my that's my thing. So uh, why wouldn't you want a little more of that? I'd love to have you. We uh, and I appreciate you being here. Um, what are we talking about tonight? Of course, the big big topic is WWE SummerSlam. I'm reviewing the whole thing uh, tonight. We've got we've also got. I'm also going to talk about the the revelations about um, the uh, about Vince McMahon being subpoenaed and having search warrants uh, set up and so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, and some thoughts on the Elite resigning as well, so on and so forth. G1 update. We've got a lot of stuff to get into. Let's get to it. It's time for the weekly wrestling inspection. Let's go ahead and talk about SummerSlam 2023, which is the biggest party of the summer. In fact... It is the biggest party ever of the summer, or so we've been told. Because uh, yeah, SummerSlam, if the if we just look at the business aspect of uh, of WWE, it did tremendous, a tremendous business. Let's you know, let's dive into it bit by bit here. Of course, we're talking about the event that took place on August fifth, twenty twenty three, in Detroit, Michigan. At uh, Ford Field, WWE announced an attendance of 59,194 people, whereas WrestleTix has the attendance estimated at 51,477. I have a tendency to believe the lower number because we know WWE inflates the gates. I got rhymes up and down the lines. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying they're good. I'm just saying they rhyme. Um, so yeah, so the, the, because look, and this is not just me being, you know, being pissy about it or just being that we we know they do that. Uh, Vince McMahon even admitted to doing it 
um, during an earnings call at some point was like, oh, those are entertainment numbers. That's I think that's the quote he used. I can't remember for which show, but he had said, oh, those are entertainment numbers. It's like entertainment numbers. Okay. F fantastic, pal. Um, 51, 59,194 is what they announced, but we're closer to 51,500, if anything else. Uh, and, and just in case, just in case you're new and you're like, well, wh why do they inflate the numbers more and how can they get away with this? Because they, they count every single person in the building and that includes talent, that includes uh, uh, staff, that includes uh, road crew, that even includes the arena staff, ushers, security, janitorial, uh, whatever managers they have there, um, that's what it's just as simple as that and then there's questions as to uh, whether or not they they count uh, um, how they how they count uh, 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 um, uh, lounges that's not the right word uh, the 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 and not the sky boxes either you know the the fucking uh, private uh, rooms as you can tell I'm very much into sports I saw, but you know what I'm talking about. Apparently, like you know, there's even a, you know, there's questions as to um, as to how they calculate uh, in regards to uh, to that. Do they calculate the maximum capacity? The uh, suites. Thank you, thank you, everyone. Thank you, the suites, indeed. So, do they do they calculate everyone in the suite, or do they uh, do, or you know, is it like an average? You know, if there's supposed to be 12 people. But there's only eight. Do they still count 12, etc., etc., etc.? But the numbers are inflated. We know this, so that's not me just being a prick. That's just uh, how it goes. Um, but it did do good business. WWE put out a press release announcing that this was the most watched and highest-grossing SummerSlam of all time. But what? In, you may be asking yourself out loud in a, a weird accent. Warren, why is all WWE events grossest of all highest of time? Hopefully you can construct sentences better. Um, it, I mean, it does come out every time, and this is something that we have to keep reminding ourselves. On one hand, yes, the business is very good for WWE. They are filling out arenas, stadiums. Uh, their live shows are doing very well. The house shows are doing very well. So, so you know, we do not, we cannot be too condescending on that point because it is working out very well. But uh, ticket prices have been inflated uh, significantly. So, you know, we're saying, yeah, you know, the uh, highest, uh, you know, the highest grossing SummerSlam of all time, uh, which they are doing tremendous business on. Um, 8.5 million gate is what they reported, if I'm not mistaken. And um, that's tremendous. Like, that is huge business. Um, the question is, do they... Uh, the question is, uh, do they end up with... Um, uh, uh, the, the question is, is uh, 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 how does that compare to uh, events of the past, SummerSlams of the past, adjusted for inflation? Right, because I think that's a that's a thing, right? That's absolutely something that, that that's something that should be observed, uh, because of course you know eight point five million dollars in two thousand twenty three money uh, isn't worth the same as two thousand as in two thousand twenty two 
or and in 2000 or in two it's probably pretty much the same in 2002 or 1997 or nine you know I, I you understand where i'm coming from but still like it's tremendous business we can't take that away well, this is what they say here specifically. With 59,194 in attendance the motor, in the Motor City, SummerSlam generated a record gate of 8.5 million, the largest gate for any non-WrestleMania event ever. It was the most watched SummerSlam in company history and among the top three audiences in the history of WWE on Peacock. I'm going to keep hammering this home. Um, sure. You know, and I think they even said that there were 2 million people who watched uh, the SummerSlam, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is uh, which is tremendous. But, the, all, you know, the question, the, the thing that 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 we don't have for streaming numbers and, that, you know, I just want to hammer this home because it's important is that we don't know how many of these are like. When does a view on Peacock, Peacock count as a view? Is it 30 seconds? Is it two minutes? Is it five minutes? Is it is it eight minutes? Because it's surely not longer. Than, it's surely not very long. You know, the, the, the amount of people watching two, three minutes in, that's significant, but how many drop off? And this is the kind of data that we do get with Nielsen because we have quarter hours, but we don't have with the streaming networks because they keep that private and that's fine. That's their thing. It's... It's uh, it's business intelligence, and it's absolutely okay that they want to hang on to that. They're a private company; they don't owe us anything. That's fine. So, um, uh, so you know, two million people most watched SummerSlam in company history. Okay, and don't forget, you know, Peacock was offered for free for uh, a bunch of uh, cable providers in the United States last year, and that doubled their numbers. So. Um, we'll see, you know, this is something to keep an eye on over the next few months because a lot of these free deals are coming to a, coming to a close. A lot of people are going to have to start paying for them now. And then even going into next year, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that maintains. But uh, the numbers have been, uh, have been reported as such. There's really no way to verify. And here's something that's very interesting to me. There's something, you know, that uh, just in the back of my head, right? And this is... I would assume, assume, and I'm not saying that they have to do it, and I'm not saying that, you know, they should be doing it or whatever. I'm just, you know, assuming that if if the Peacock got 2 million people, like 2 million people at once, you know, watching their streaming program, wouldn't NBCU put out a press release to tout that? You know, and I'm talking independently from WWE. You know, not unlike what Warner Brothers does, Warner Bros. Discovery, excuse me, uh, not unlike what they do when, um, uh, when the, uh, not unlike what they do when uh, the, uh, the, uh, when Dynamite does a really good number. I got it out. I'm, I, I can talk. I'm good at it. Um, you know, that, that, that's, the, that, that's the thing that's very curious to me. It's like, um, what is it, what, you know, what makes it so interesting 
how can it be that that interesting and 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 mind-boggling that how, how can it be that big that your broadcasting partner just uh just uh, you know doesn't say a peep Boop. you know and you would expect that something that generates a huge success like that would absolutely generate uh generate some 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 press releases some 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 hype from NBCU, but they're not. Is it coincidental with? Uh, is it coincidental with the uh, with um, uh, the you know the TV deals happening? You know, maybe NBCU doesn't want to push too many things because WWE is you know scouting for scouting for a deal. Maybe they don't want to they don't want to tip their the hat too much. I don't know. Look. Uh, I'm just saying, it's a little weird. SummerSlam generated the most sponsorship revenue for any non-WrestleMania event ever. With 7 million, up 23% versus 2022. Slim Jim, C4, and Rocket Mortgage were among WWE's sponsors for the premium live event. In partnership with special event retailer partner Fanatics, Merchandise sales were up 60% versus the record set in 2021, making the best performance in company history for any premium live event outside of uh, WrestleMania. On location packages set a new SummerSlam record up 47% versus 2022. There were quite a few of those pop-up shops. Um, well, there was a, pop, a pop-up shop, uh, WWE merch store down downtown, um, you know, uh, they're, you know, they're doing what they got to do. Let's put it that way. Um, and then there was, uh, there was even the, uh, there was even the Detroit Sports Commission. This was Brandon Thurston, of course, of WrestleNomics, the weekly plug. I don't get any kickbacks. Just go follow him because they do fantastic work. Brandon Thurston brought this to us, brought this to our attention. Uh... A quote from the Detroit Sports Commission executive uh, director, executive director, excuse me, Dave Becknow, Beachnow, Becknow, Beachnow. I'm going to say Beachnow. It says, quote, landing WWE SummerSlam at Ford Field is a signature win for Detroit and continues the momentum of the Detroit Sports Commission in attracting major sporting events to the region. Metro Detroit enjoys a special place in WWE history and has produced many iconic moments. Thank you to the entire WWE family for entrusting us with this incredible opportunity and we look forward to delivering a first-class experience. So that's interesting. That And this was not in the press release. This was a statement that was given to a news outlet, if I'm not mistaken. So this sort of, uh, this sort of implies that there was some kind of sight feed uh that was engaged here that there was and triple h confirmed at the uh, press conference if i'm not mistaken that uh there was indeed a bidding process um that there was indeed a bidding a bidding process so you know again wwe getting not just money from the gate from from revenue revenue from not just getting revenue from the gate from merch sales uh but also from the cities themselves now the cities come in and bet on uh, bid, I should say, on getting WWE events over, and not 
clearly not just limited to WrestleMania anymore. And look, we know they did this. They did it in Cardiff. They did it in Puerto Rico. This is part of their business model moving on. Now you can absolutely say everyone else does it. You know, bidding wars for big events. Why don't they do it uh, for uh, for that? I'm like, sure. So that's for that's what that 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 that's the brushstrokes, the grand brushstrokes of the business aspect of SummerSlam this year. If you want more uh, in-depth stuff, uh, please go check out WrestleNomics. Brandon and Jesse Collins this week actually talked about it and just brought up fantastic, exquisite details up and down and all around. But now we're going to talk about the show itself. Now we're getting to the meat and potatoes here. Where this show, this show. You want a spoiler about what I thought about the show? Okay, I'll give it to you before we <laughs> move on. Um, I don't think this was a bad show. And I know there's a lot of people calling this a bad pro wrestling show. I don't think it was bad. I think it left a very sour taste in our mouths because of the two final matches on this card. However, I think this was a very, this was a, this was a very WWE event and for better, for worse. And in this case, for a lot of worse, I think this was at the very least a mediocre show that was highlighted by some very good, look, the good stuff on the show was, it, it shined like the really good stuff shined. But oh my lord, did we sink to the depths? Did we? Oh boy! Are you excited now? Do you want me to talk? To, to, uh, should we talk more about it? Let me keep going. Let's start. Logan Paul defeated Ricochet. Look, this was a spot fest, pure and simple, and I, I and 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 a good one. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you uh, uh, spot monkeys. This is that's exactly what this was. They were out there doing cool moves. I have no problems with cool moves. People want to do cool moves for me for 18 minutes. I'll let them do it. That's fine. I enjoyed the pace. Michael Cole had me laughing at some point where, you know, Logan Paul is doing the, you know, the ear thing, the Hulk Hogan ear thing. That CM Punk also does, by the way. You know, babyface CM Punk. Of course, he's not a heel, or so I've been told. But he's doing that. And Michael Gold says he's been watching tapes. He's been watching tapes of the greats. <laughs> he's watching tape of Hulk Hogan doing the ear thing. No, I don't think so. That's not watching tape. That's watching any fucking clip of pro wrestling from the 80s and 90s. And you thought, that's not what watching tape is. And if he's watching Hogan for tape, I hope he's watching, you know, early 80s New Japan Hulk Hogan and not 1996 Hulk Hogan if he's watching tape. Who needs to be watching Hogan tape to get the ear thing down? One of the most iconic hand gestures in pro wrestling. He's watching tape. I, that... That, I will tell you all, gave me a very good chuckle. 
I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> so um so anyway everything you know everything was going was going well and, and they're doing tribute spots right they're doing uh they're doing uh you know uh ricochet does the the people's moonsault haven't you know hasn't pulled that one out in a while and uh logan paul does what did he the low the log the hogan paul right which is a, like a like a leg split, leg drop, which actually looks more like a Molina tribute spot. There we have it, folks. We got we got the Molina tribute spots on a pay per view. Shout out, congratulations, Molina mover and shaker, up and down. You know, great inspiration to wrestlers everywhere, including Logan Paul. But for real, like, you know, I looked at that and I was like, that's a Melina thing. That's what, that's legit what Melina does. She, you know, does the splits thing and womp, right? That's what she does. And that's what Logan Paul did. It's a Melina tribute spot. It's just called, I'm calling it for what it is. Not the, not the Muda lock, the Melina lock or whatever the fuck she called it. Anyway, got a little sidetracked by chat there. Um... Anyway, everything was high flying. It was spot, you know, everyone was spot hungry, and but it all came crashing down to, with a ridiculous and match breaking finish. You know, when a dude you know, dressed up as a as a roadie or you know as staff with a hoodie, and he passes Logan Paul some some knuckles, some brass knuckles, and he uses them on Ricochet and he gets the win. And I'm like, okay, this completely disintegrated. Everything we had been leading to, everything that this match was building to, just came toppling down. Bad finish to a pretty good match. I'll t I'll be honest. You know, I hate Logan Paul. I still like legitimately think Logan Paul is a true to form bad person. With you know, capital B, capital P, with a little TM, but. What he did here with Ricochet, observably, was entertaining. It was it was pretty good, but I want I'm gonna say I've got some to say. <laughs> I've got some to say to every WWE fan out there who's ever watched a a a a spot match like with Ricochet or Will Ospreay or the Young Bucks. Who just sat there and always crossed their arms and mope and say, fucking spot monkeys, there's no story here. It's just fucking spots all over the place. If you are one of those and you enjoyed this match, you can no longer complain about anyone doing spot shows. That's the, 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 the spot show, something else. Spot fests. In a match. You can't. You've been disqualified. Because there was no story to this match. There was no story to this match. There wasn't anything holding it together. You know. Cohesively. It was guys. Doing cool stuff. And sometimes in wrestling that's fine. But I promise you. Anyone who thought this was cool. But then we'll look at a. Lucha Bros, uh, 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 Young Bucks match and go, this shit stinks. Uh, they're disqualified. 
you have to take away every, you know, every possible way that they get to communicate the wrestling opinions. You have to take them all away. They're disqualified. They're out of here. Hit the showers. Hot opener. I enjoyed it. Even though Logan Paul, what he, you know, that uh, buckshot lariat that he did off the apron. Like, okay, cut, cut it out, pal. Cut it out, pally. But, uh, you know, this was probably, uh, this was probably the, uh, the greatest uh, moment in Ricochet's WWE career, right? This is probably the greatest moment uh, of all times. For Ricochet, it's not going to get any better than this. I, you know, when Ricochet then hits the media and then he says, "One day I'm going to be, you know, one day I'm going to be a, uh, I'm going to win a Royal Rumble." You'll see. I'm like, that's cool, kid. You know, there was a time where I also, where I as well had a dream to be a an astronaut bikini salesman, but no, that never came to fruition. It's exactly yeah, it, like it's legitimately funny because this is the thing. This is the thing that happened when he was intercontinental champion and he wasn't bu being booked on any pay per views. You remember that stint, right? When when the when the icy title was in the fucking mud, and and and, and he took to and said, "I'm you know I'm gonna what?" He said something to the effect of, "I'm gonna make damn sure that I'm gonna be on the pay per views or something like that." Like, Brother, like you have any sway over Vince McMahon? For some reason, you ended up with the title, and Vince, you know, just looked at him and said, he's too small, he's goofy. What the fuck are we doing here? He can't talk, he can't do anything. Well, you know, as if he could walk up to Vince McMahon. R Ricochet walking up to Vince McMahon saying, Vince, I want to be on the show. <laughs> so, look. You spare me winning the Royal Rumble. But it's nice to get the fan base excited, I guess. One last thing. Last, last thing. I love how they made such a big deal of Samantha Irving. Irving, Irvin, Irving. Look, the, the ring announcer, his girlfriend. How they made such a big deal out of her crying because he lost. I'm like, I, I'm looking at this and I'm like, you'd think Samantha would be used to Ricochet losing at this point. If she's if she's crying, if she's still crying about him losing matches, that whew. <laughs> All right, let's move on. I've talked more than enough about that match because I want to talk about this fucking match. Cody Rhodes defeating Brock Lesnar. I'm coming right out and saying it. This was my match of the night. I don't think anything even comes close. Look, I'm talking about it with a smile. I fucking love that match. And and, and and a match of the night by a mile. Like there's not, there is nothing that even came close to being as great as this match was. Drama, beatdowns, white meat, baby face-isms. It had everything. It broke the conventional WWE house style, which is always refreshing. And that's always the case with a Brock match. And you knew Brock was going to basically, who agents Brock? I, like, I'm asking this seriously. Who agents a Brock Lesnar match? Who sits down and says, you know, pushes up their glasses, pulls out their notes. All right, Brock, so um, what's your opening spot? When do you want to start? Like, come on now. 
Let's get real here for Did they send Nick Aldis? Is it, was this the test that they had Nick Aldis do? Nick, we want you to go agent Cody and Brock. Cody, who Nick Aldis and Nick, unless, look, as far as I know, Nick Aldis and Cody Rhodes can't stand each other. And then Brock. Of course, I'm joking in regards to the Nick Aldis stuff, right? He was on Raw, wasn't he? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Cody did a spectacular job here. He absolutely did a spectacular job. Brock is just throwing him around. Like, <clears throat> didn't no one even use the word suplex city on commentary, right? I don't think I heard it. And that was a crying shame because that's where Cody was. He was absolutely, he was absolutely taken to Suplex City. And he, and, and Brock just like tosses him to the floor over and over again. He gets back in. Well, fuck. Brock beats him up some more and tosses him back out. Brock doesn't even want to dignify this guy with an with, with, with a with a pinfall, with a submission. He's like, I'm going to beat you so hard you won't be able to get up. You won't be able to beat a, 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 a 10 count. He's tossing him over and over to the floor. He gives Cody an F5 on the floor. Cody gets back in. So, you know, Brock fires him back out. Lesnar, you know, gives him an F5 through the announce desk. And I'm like, there's, okay. And I, and I, they got me on this one. Because I was like, oh, okay. So they're, so Cody's losing is what you're telling me. I, I, I bought into this. I was like, could you imagine? Can you imagine how bad the 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 world of professional wrestling commentary is going to melt down if Cody loses this match and i was ready for it it's still fantastic and you know why this worked magnificently is because you buy into Brock being a brute and Cody being the guy you root for We get a series of Cody cutters and a Kimura by Brock. Cody wriggles out of it and, and locks in one of his own. He avoids an F5. Cody hits three consecutive crossroads to put Brock away. Just a great, fantastic, come from behind, comeback story of a match. Someone call CM Punk. Tell him that's the Rocky Three match. <laughs> that's what it was. No bullshit, no overbooking, no fucking, you know, uh, no, no yard equipment, no motor vehicles, a clean finish, a clean winner. Look, WWE, if they're, they know how to book Cody as a babyface, I will give them that. They absolutely get it. I loved it. I nothing even nothing even comes close on this card to this match. After the match, Brock shakes Cody's hand and raises his his arm in appreciation and this was something completely unplanned. So we had to have oodles of articles, you know, 250 to 400 words talking about this. People wrote articles about this. And I'm going to tell you why it's silly, silly as hell that we're celebrating unplanned things happening in WWE 
Because why are we celebrating wrestlers doing things organically, right? Why, why, why are we doing this when normally a professional wrestler should absolutely do things spontaneously, hear a crowd reaction and shake his fist at him? Well, that was not the planned finish. Wasn't that great? And then you're also burying what you're doing. Look, whatever we had planned wasn't as good as this, right? This was great. What are we even doing here? Like, no one looks good here. No one looks good. Everyone's celebrating this, but then I'm like, fuck, this is like basic. This is basic wrestler behavior. You know, are we gonna, I, I never saw an article when, you know, uh, uh, John Moxley messed up Wheeler Yuta's hair after a match. I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the script, boys. What are you doing, doing unplanned things? It's so stupid, but I love this. And look, one last thought, one last thought. When Cody sticks to the basics, and I mean this very sincerely, when he sticks to the basics, because he understands pro wrestling, don't anyone tell you otherwise. When he sticks to the basics, doesn't go full melodrama, doesn't, you know, get all sorts of people involved, and he's so fucking good at this. He is so amazingly good at this. Match of the night, like, and it's one of my favorite matches I've seen so far in August. You know, it's not a match of the year, I wouldn't put it up there, but Christ, if this wasn't exciting. So this show, is off to a rousing start. I'm in Warren Hayes headquarters. I'm seated in my armchair. I've got drinks. I'm like, yeah, this rules. You know, I'm about to go make some popcorn because it's the Slim Jim Battle Royal. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say hello to Silver Apocalypse. It's good to see you, pal. Welcome to the welcome to the to the show. So, no, no, so here's so here's the 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 yes, there is coffee and bagels, but only in the morning, you know. Uh, free parking, absolutely all the time. Why is the chat distracting me so much tonight? I apologize to everyone who's not here live. I'm letting I I have only myself to blame for encouraging them. So, LA Knight defeated. Who cares? It doesn't matter. None of this mattered. I, I, you know, I, 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 you know, asked around and was like, does anyone know? Is there a stipulation? Is there a, a title match? I was like, no, no, there's nothing. There's nothing. It's just a sponsored, it's just sponsored by Slim Jim. I'm like, okay. So, you know, that's it. That's, it's just people fighting for no reason. You know, and it's weird because, you know, don't the WWE fans, don't they always need a reason for things to happen? What was the reason here? Well, Warren is just a bottle royal. Oh, okay. Okay. So when the, anyway. There's a whole bunch of people here. LA Knight won. Nice little way to get LA Knight, to give LA Knight a win. Listen to what I'm about to say. Nice little way for LA Knight to get a, a win 
in front of a crowd, make the crowd happy, but ultimately have that win mean absolutely nothing in the long run because there is no stipulation. He doesn't become the number one contender of anything. Uh, this match will never be mentioned again in the history of WWE kind of thing. Not unless Slim Jim pays for it, right? I, I, are we in agreement? I believe so. Look, how many times have we talked about the zombie, ma the zombie match sponsored by, what was it, Army of the Dead or whatever the fuck? How many times have we heard talk about that match since? Uh, none, because they're not paying WWE money to talk about it anymore. What about the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match? Same thing. Oh, by the way, it was also shit. There's no reason to talk about it either. <laughs> but, but see, you give LA Knight the big win. The crowd is happy. They're like, yeah, it's our guy. But ultimately, it means jack shit. It means nothing. WWE can continue to make sure that he doesn't get over. They can continue to to, to put him in, in in meaningless little things. Now I know he's got a, he's got some quibbles. He's got quibbles too. Not the same type of quibbles that I have, but he's got quibbles with uh, uh, people on Raw. Isn't he on SmackDown? What about the brand split? It doesn't fucking matter. But you know, as we'll give LA Knight a little something here, but at least it's not interfering with the plan, because you know damn well. They could have had The Miz win this one, which was my prediction when I was on the beards last Thursday between two beards over on Love Wrestling. They were like, who, who do you, you know, who do you predict is going to win here? Well, I th is, so I was like, is LA Knight in the match? And they said, yes. All right. Well, The Miz is going to win. That's exactly what I said. But no harm, no foul here, right? Everything's fine. It's just a meaningless match. Made the sponsors happy. Of course, Apollo Crews is the first guy to be uh, eliminated. And I'm sorry, Ricochet is going to be the next Apollo Crews. Anyway. Um, what a dork Matt Riddle looks like now. What an absolute fucking dork. This is a guy who was, uh, who was, uh, what, a year ago? How long has Orton been out? He was in this thing with Randy Orton and he was over. He was getting reactions. He was being put in top spots. And then, and now he's just, he's a dork. And I don't know if there's stuff happening. I don't know if there's stuff happening backstage, you know? I don't know if there's, you know, uh, you know, maybe there's some bullshit we, we are not privy to. Maybe there's some bull, you know, th that guy, Matt Riddle, comes with a crazy amount of baggage. So, maybe, you know, WWE is like, you know what, we're fed up with this guy. Maybe the UFC merger is playing against them too. You know, him and Dana White, uh, you know, look, I don't know. But to say, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you, if I didn't share this thought with you that I wouldn't be surprised if he sits out the rest of his contract. You know, they tried to even shoehorn him into the bloodline thing and that failed miserably. Miserably. Even the hottest angle in the company couldn't get this guy over. I think he's dead in the water. And it's crazy. It's crazy because... 
uh, thank you for everyone p- p- giving me hearts right now. That's very sweet. Thank you. Um, but uh, it's it's crazy that he's he's com- he's coming in as a guy that everyone used to like. That everyone was like, yeah, I mean, this guy has so much potential, so much charisma, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now he's just relegated to. It's ridiculous. Have you noticed that Omas is Omas now has the Kane rule? He's now the, the he's the new Kane, where we're gonna have battle we're gonna have battle royals and royal rumbles, and everyone's gonna be like, oh, Omas is the big guy, you know, and oof, he's dangerous, and you know he's very tall, and uh, you know he can he can toss us out in a second, and and he's they're gonna hype him up as being super dangerous, but then you'll get you'll just have like. Every match, there'll be six to eight guys who are going to pile up on him and toss him over the top rope, and that'll be that. But, you know, they're, they're always going to be like, Omas is so... Oh, no, it's Omas. So they tried to create this aura. We can't start this match without the seven-foot-tall Nigerian monster, Omas. And I'm like, who cares? This guy's not... This guy is the least credible big guy in, 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 in primetime TV pro wrestling right now, not because he doesn't look huge it's because he's been booked like a geek it's just as simple as that anyway my slim jim battle royal who the fuck cares and boy oh boy if we were circling the drain here we got even closer with this match mma rules Shayna baszler defeated ronda rousey so listen whoever decided to set this up was was doing was setting these women up for failure. Not that I, not that I think a, hey, Plugo, nice to see you. Welcome. It's good to see you. Talking about the Between Two Beards podcast. That's the guy. Um, One of the guys, anyway. Uh, I don't think, here's, I want to make something very clear. Despite the fact that I, that I truly believe that, this was doomed from the get-go, this MMA rules match. I don't think a singles Ronda Rousey match, professional wrestling match, would have got the crowd alive regardless, right? But WWE fans, listen, they don't like things that are outside the realm of their sports entertainment. And this MMA stuff, well, that's not sports entertainment. They're very resistant to change. They don't like things that don't have weeks of packages, right? To build everything up. Maybe if they had had MMA exhibition matches to explain the rules beforehand. Now, this all stunk. Jokes aside, the MMA pro wrestling crossover thing among fans is overrated. It's, I, don't think there's, I don't think the Venn diagram of pro wrestling fans and MMA fans, I don't think it overlaps as large as, a lot, as, as many people think it does. I really don't. I, I really think that I, I, I think that we both live in different cosmoses. I think MMA fans think uh, pro wrestling is stupid because it's not because it's not real fighting, and I think pro wrestling fans think MMA fights are kind of dull because it lacks pizzazz, it lacks moves. You know, I think that yeah, that's what I get, and I don't think anyone gets excited for. UWFI style matches that frankly already have a reputation of just being out of place and stinking up the joint. 
Like, how, why would you do this in front of 51,000 people and saying, you're gonna be into this? Like, no one's gonna be into this. When is the last time? I mean, it's happened, it's happened. There have been uh, worked shoot fights that have worked. Look, the blood sport gimmick is all based over that. And you could even argue that the the more, that for the past few years, the blood sport shows that GCW puts on aren't even all that great anymore. Kind of like we're all in on the thing now. It's it's really not as good. Word shoot fights are more often than not not good in the realm of boring. And we decide to do this, right? I think, you know, uh, and I talked about this on the preview last week, right? Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock that one time, right? And then I think... I, didn't Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle have like a shoot type MMA style fight and that ruled but then again everything Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle did together ruled and there's probably look look there is some stuff from the UF U, U, UWFI there's some stuff from Pancrease later you know what well, not Pancrease itself, but you know when it's when it started transitioning, and you know we had Pancrease guys. What I'm trying to say, coming into New Japan, like there's probably a couple there, but overall, look, New Japan decided to do the crossover, the whole Enochiism thing, and that almost tanked the entire company. What the fuck are we even doing here? Okay, Shayna gets a choke in, and she, you know, and and Ronda taps out, uneventful uninspired and even by both women you know uninspired by both women who should technically be in their element right and you know what didn't help either was the crowd you know for the past few weeks um you know there, there was uh, there was all sorts of weird interaction between Shayna and 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 uh, Ronda, that you didn't quite know who was the baby face, who was the heel. So the, the the audience is sort of like, okay, you know, there were some boring chants that came in very clearly on television, but from what I hear, it was extremely minimal. But everyone was pretty much sitting on their hands. Everyone was being very very respectful, you know, like the crowds in Japan. So Ronda is done with WWE. She had a hard out clause at SummerSlam. She's gone. She hit the bricks. We put the kibosh on this run of hers in world wrestling entertainment. And I, listen, she is one of the reasons that I thought that this product started stinking tremendously over the past 18 months or so. She went from being a superstar for this company. Never... Always keep a clear head as to what, what was going on uh, a few years ago when she made her, her arrival in WWE. When she came in and she established herself as a top star, she was still very relevant in the zeitgeist, as the kids like to say. And she, was, she, she established herself as a star. WWE treated her like a big fucking deal. And now, in this leg of her journey, after coming back at the Royal Rumble two years ago, she... Uh, she just became just another face on the roster. Nothing special about her. No aura. But I don't want to blame WWE booking entirely on this one. 
because from the moment she came back at the Royal Rumble, she looked completely uninterested, barely bothered to emote. And this went on for weeks. This stunk. Her run stunk. And you can put the blame on booking as much as you long as much as you want, but Rhonda didn't have it anymore. Whatever she had gained in that first run, she left it all aside. She was disinterested. She was not into it. No energy, low effort. She can hit the bricks. I th I'm completely okay if I never see Ronda Rousey in a pro wrestling ring ever again. I'm good. Next, a little, a little salvo, a little salve, I should say, on our burns here, because we've been burned by this match here. Gunther successfully retained his intercontinental title against Drew McIntyre. I like this a lot. Probably my second favorite match of the night. But I felt like it under-delivered. Does that make sense? Because look, especially coming off the heels of their the fantastic, excellent, dare we say, uh, WrestleMania match, um, you know, with Sheamus, the, the 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 triple threat. Off of that, I was like, all right, let's just get these two big boys in and just fantastic. Let's continue down this path of, you know, Gunther being this tremendous, you know, no-nonsense ass-kicker, which is so sorely needed in this company. But I, I feel like it didn't reach what I thought it should, if that makes sense. Because, and the weird thing is that I like the match. I like the match quite a bit. You know, if we're talking... Scale ratings, I'd give it a 3.5, and I think that's fair. But I was expecting a lot more. Maybe my expectations were too high, but I don't think they were. Not for these two dudes, right? Anyway, this was high impact. There were the chops, of course. And it had all the big power moves you could want. German suplexes, splashes, future shocks. It's a buffet. It's a buffet of spamming power moves when you're playing video games but it just didn't crank into a final gear. Good match, very, very good, but I expected more. As Gunther inches ever so closer to, be, to beating the Honky Tonk Man's legendary reign of 454 days, if I'm not mistaken. I might be off a little bit, but I think that's what it is. Why is it so easier for me to get into uh, to get into this title reign or the the potential of Gunther winning beating that record? Why is it easier for me to get into that than Roman Reigns' one thousand day reign? Uh, is it because the one thousand day number is so arbitrary and doesn't mean anything? Could it be that? 
Could it be because he's winning matches in strong, often dominant fashion without requiring layers upon layers of interference and monologues and stories? Maybe. Maybe. Then we had the WWE Constellation, I mean the World Heavyweight title match where Seth Rollins successfully retained his title against Finn Balor. Um, I really don't have much to say here. I think this was better than their match at Money in the Bank. Uh, I don't, but I don't know. I, like, it's not, this was not a question where I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back and check it out. No. <laughs> I, but I feel more positive after this match than I did at their Money in the Bank match. If that makes, again, if that makes sense. I feel like, like this, I, 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 I feel like, I like this more, but I also feel like a lot of Seth Rollins, Finn Balor matches, sort of all smushed together. Look, effort was there. It was well worked. Good little wrestling match. Then the finish happens, and all my interest in the match flies away. It evaporates like a puddle of water in the hot, hot summer sun. Rollin hits a pedigree. Damien Priest comes down to the ringside. And he hits Seth while the ref is distracted. Finn Balor hits a pedigree as well. Can't quite get the pin. And then we have interference. We have storyline, right? We have finishers being held. The crowd is into it now. Because up until this point, this crowd is eh, not into it. But now that we've got the people, now that we've got the elements for stories, now that we have all these elements, the crowd is into it. Rhea Ripley, Dominic Mysterio are there too, by the way. They're at ringside. They distract the referee. And then Finn Balor and Damian Priest, they, they start disagreeing. They have an argument in regards to the briefcase. You know, Priest, see, Priest wants Finn to use it on um, Seth Rollins. But Finn thinks Priest wants to cash in. So Priest is going, ha, ha, he, and Balor's going like, nah, nah, nah. and it's just, you know, it's a land of confusion, as Genesis once told us. So this is the world we live in. There's shenanigans. There's more shenanigans. Priest distracts the ref. Then Finn goes to use the Money in the Bank briefcase, it turns out. But Seth stomps him on the briefcase to score the win. And I thought it was incredibly funny. I thought it was incredibly funny that the crowd really wasn't into the match until Damian Priest showed up. To kick off the Judgment Day nonsense. So again, listen. I say again because I've talked about this a few times in, in, uh, on different shows. But I think we need to underscore that. Like, you know, I'm, I always have a question. I'm, I, do, I don't think I understand what WWE fans want out of their wrestling anymore. I do know what they want about out of their WWE shows. They want to, they, they, they want to pop to the entrances. And they're going to pop when there's finishers. That's what they do. And then if there's storylines and then people involved in the storylines start showing up, then they get real excited. That's what they want. 
these pesky wrestling matches getting in the way though, right? Am I right, my boys? Like, I, there's just... The Judgment Day stuff is going to be, is, is, is going to be bloodline-anized, isn't it? Is that a word? Bloodline-anized? Interminable months until we get Priest versus Balor for the heavyweight title. The world heavyweight title, right? That's This is the path, right? More months of this nonsense. They're probably delaying the inevitable so that they can figure out what to do with, with Dominic once they all split up. Anyway, finish was all over the place. Couldn't care for it. Match was okay. I guess I liked it. Liked it more than other things. Then we had, <coughs> so this is where, this is the part where I think um, everyone sort of turned on the show, or anyone with a brain anyway, <coughs> and why in the minds of people this was a terrible show. Because I don't think it was a terrible show. But uh, Bianca Belair defeated Asuka and Charlotte Flair to become the new WWE uh, women's champion I came into this match with a lot more optimism than I feel a lot of other people did because the women in WWE always seem to work really well together mesh well together in triple threat situations but this it didn't work it stunk all three women just sort of rolled through stuff and there's things here, as a casual viewer of WWE, that shock me. Bianca, I find, doesn't have her superstar aura anymore. At least not in this match. You know, where's where was that Bianca Belair, you know, coming out at WrestleMania with the fanfare, with the marching band? Or the, you know, the, 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 the little girls, the, the, the dance troupe. She looks like a fucking superstar. Now she's, okay. She comes out and she does her things and, you know, people still love her. They still love the reaction. But I'm talking superstar aura. And Charlotte stunk. She really did. I don't know why in 2003... She still insists on doing fucking moonsaults when they never connect. One out of every seven moonsaults that Charlotte Flair does connects. Those are not good averages. At some point, you just stop doing them. That's where one of the agents comes up, pushes his glasses up, is like, Miss um, Flair, I think this uh, moonsault move that you have here set up, I don't think we should do that. But there's even things in this match where I'm like, what the fuck is she thinking? What is she thinking? Like, in pure wrestling psychology terms, okay? Bear with me here. She decided to put a figure four leg lock on two people at once. It didn't work, of course. They rolled out of it. But in the psychology of the match, Charlotte Flair as a wrestler, as a competitor in the match, 
as someone putting a story together in the ring, okay? Picked up both one, uh, picked up a leg from both of her competitors and proceeded to try to put them in a figure four at the same time. Like, I don't even know, I don't even, now, of course it failed because they, you know, they pushed her away because they were like, what the fuck are you doing, right? <laughs> but of course, you know, that my point is that of course it's supposed to fail because it's it's not humanly possible to do that in this situation but how did she how did how did she come to the realization to say I, I in in again in the kayfabe story in the psychology of it she decided this was a good idea i don't understand best spot of the show was when bianca's 450 um did that 450 on uh, charlotte's figure eight bridge credit that uh, that was a dope spot this crowd was not into this match. You know what they were mad? You know what they were into? They were in for the, into the mist and the finish, right? Bianca is in the figure eight. She's about to tap. Asuka comes in. She missed uh, uh, Charlotte in the face. Then Asuka goes after Bianca. She counters with a roll-up. She pins Asuka. She's the champ. And that, that got the people excited. Like I said, they want their finishes. They want their finishers. They want the recognizable spots. This match was a bore. Things happened. Things felt disjointed. And we are going to have to, very soon, we are going to have to start having conversations about how overrated WWE's women's division is being called, you know, greatest place on earth for women and so on and so forth. And they, you know, oh, they give all this time and all these matches. The quality, the output of these matches is terribly overrated. And we are going to have to be adults and talk about this if we want women's wrestling to improve. Now, if we don't, we can keep our head in the sand and keep saying, gee, Willikers, good job, girls. But this was not good, good job, girls. These three women together, think for a second. Just think for a second. The three women who were in this match, Charlotte Flair, Bianca Belair, Asuka, all women who have worked in big matches, who have had, who, who have proven their, themselves in multiple scenarios to be great wrestlers. What is going on? What is this? We're going to have to have conversation about pushing the right people. And I'm not just talking about WWE here in this circumstance, but we are going to, let's just focus here because we're talking about SummerSlam, but we're going to have to have conversations about pushing the right people. We're going to have to have conversations about it, about not only being the amount of women's matches, but the quality. We have to have a conversation about both. We have to have observable, quantifiable, and observable, uh, uh, qualifiable. We're going to have to have both. As long as we pat WWE on the back for doing this stuff, 
for booking more than one match. Hey, good job, WWE. You booked two matches on your two women's matches. If this is minimum bare effort, and this is what it this is what it creates, then no, we cannot be satisfied about this. And this, again, is criticism that comes from a place of love because I want this to improve. I was not satisfied with what the women did at SummerSlam, one of the biggest shows WWE is going to put on in 2023 this year. And both, I am sitting in my chair and I'm saying, Jesus Christ, this, this breaks my heart. This breaks my heart because I should be rooting for them. I should be up out of my chair applauding. I should not have one women's match a month off of a, you know, a, 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 an XYZ promotion or, you know, Ring of Honor, or, you know, something that doesn't have the, 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 the size or the reach that a WWE or an AEW does. I shouldn't have to dig so deep to find like one women's match Per month where it's like, yeah, this fucking rules. I shouldn't have to. Does that make sense? Because the more we just say, bravo, ladies, good job. That is, it's not good enough. And it's not going to improve. We're going to regress. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to have, you know, Maxine Dupree doing the worm in the ring every week. That's what we're going to get. This is not an indictment. And I'm not saying that we should be removing time from women. We should be taking them off of television. But we need to rethink of how, we have to rethink how this is being approached because this is not working. It's not working in AEW either. They're both guilty. Guilty as sin on this front. No one does this well in North America. No one. The only place you can turn to to see women competing as athletes putting on excellent matches is in Japan. Why haven't we not cracked this formula? Why have these companies, these billion dollar companies, oh, there's another one coming up that's going to be a billion dollar company soon. Don't get me wrong here. Why haven't these billion-dollar companies cracked the code? With some of the excellent talent that they have in their midst right now. Why are we settling for this? Excuse me. Gets me heated. And then after the match, the biggest, one of the biggest reactions of the night was Io Shirai cashing in her money in the bank, um, her money in the bank uh, uh, briefcase thing to, on Bianca Belair to become WWE Women's Champion. Now, listen, I, t I was just talking about let's push the right people. Io Shirai, one of the greatest wrestlers alive. Not just women, wrestlers alive should absolutely be the focus of your women's division. Finally, they're fucking waking up. So I am for this. I am concerned 
about the level of competition she has. I am concerned that because EO won the, the belt via Money in the Bank, that maybe WWE doesn't have full, full faith in her and they're going to give it a try, right? Uh, let's think back to recent winners, Nikki Cross and Liv Morgan, right? Liv Morgan, you know, beloved superstar Liv Morgan that everyone was 100% behind, right? Management wasn't behind her. Nikki Cross, management wasn't behind her. We're going to see just how much Io Shirai is being supported by management because that is important. Like, I've talked about money in the bank and how it's overplayed and how I'm done with it. I'm like, I'm kind of done with the concept. But look, and here's, I'll tell, look, I'll tell you, here's something else that ties into what I was saying just a few minutes ago. Everyone clapping their hands and saying, what a great moment for Io Shirai, right? I'm like, she deserves this moment. No, you know what Io Shirai deserves? You know what she deserves? She deserves to run a program with a world champion and have a proper build to a, to a big-time match at a pay-per-view and defeat the champion, one, two, three, and walk out the champion. That's what she deserves. That's what she deserves. You see what I mean when I talk about, oh, great stuff, guys. Yeah, you did it. Money in the Bank does, is, is not an instant star creator. It, it hasn't been for years. Because if it had, Liv Morgan would not be relegated to chasing after, you know, tag team titles over and over again. Nikki Cross would not have vanished off of television if it was so big. This is what I mean. And it's not to poo-poo on on Io Shirai winning a fucking title in WWE. That's not it. It's just, our expectations have been so displaced. We're always like, eh, that's pretty good. Oh, we're all, okay, good, good. This good thing happened. But we forget that these are cop-outs. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're quick fixes. They're, this is not, this does not make for a compelling start to anyone's championship. Hell, you can even look at Big E. Big E. L beloved pro wrestler Big E by the locker room, by fans. And WWE couldn't get behind them. What kind of shot do you think poor Io Shirai has here? I Cross my fingers. I'm hoping. You know, like chat mentioned, you know, there's rumors that Kyrie Sane's on her way back. Let's get the start emojis here and let's let's show these North Americans how to do it. You know what I mean? I will say all of Damage Control celebrating in the ring a year after their debut. I thought that was a nice touch. It was nice to see uh, Dakota Kai, even though she's not ready to come back. I did see these. The... What a crowning moment for, for damage control. Makes us forgive everything that happened in the past month or so. How? No. The past year of booking. No, don't. Don't forget. See, this is it again. 
Don't forget what happened in the past year of uh, damage controls. Absolutely dirt shit booking. Don't forget it. Don't erase it. Because this is the kind of thing where WWE goes, we don't have to put in the effort with the women then. Because we just have to give them a nice feel-good moment on the pay-per-view and everyone's happy again. That's all we have to do. You, you know, jingle jangle the keys. Look over here, guys. That's, that's exactly what it is. This, you couldn't have a more concrete... You couldn't have more concrete proof than that. Than uh, someone over on, on cage-side seats writing an article saying... Uh, oh well, you know this. Uh, you know this you know, sets everything right. We can forget, you know, the terrible year they had. No, no, do not forget the terrible year they had. Expect better from your bookers, especially when it comes to your favorites. This does not fix everything. This should be like, okay, now let's see what happens. But I won't forget. I won't forget the absolute shit year when they had absolute gold in their hands. Gold. A trio of women beloved by fans everywhere. It was not hard to get people behind damage control. It was not hard. They fucked it up. They fucked it up the minute they had them lose the tournament for the tag team titles. From that point, that is the moment where it was clear to me, hey, management doesn't believe in these people. Management's not supporting them. They're cooked. They're done. How you doing, Nick Nutter? Good to see you and welcome to the chat. So this match stunk. But then it somehow got worse when Roman Reigns defeated Jey Uso in a tribal combat match for the undisputed universal title. First of all, and I will make sure that make sure that you all understand this. If there is another world heavyweight title in your company, then your title is disputed. It's disputed. This is not undisputed. Okay? We clear? We're good? All right, let's move on. Where to start, actually? I don't know. First of all, this match uh, starts off as the as the calmest, most soothing blood feud of all time, doesn't it? Doesn't it? A match that is supposed to have such personal implications and fiery emotions and personal involvement. Like you know, it's, it's not just it's bigger than the belts. I was even told. Oh, gee, Willikers, look at that. Oh, I wonder. Geez, I'm, if only there had been an opportunity to take the belts off of Roman. If only. But for a match that was supposed to be a blood feud, this started off very, very smooth. I was almost expecting a collar and elbow tie-up. Pacing, watching. You know, they're in the fucking middle of the ring, right? They're in the middle of the ring and the ref is, you know, they're, they're doing the thing. Jimmy Uso should have popped the Roman right in the mouth right there. Let's get this shit going. Especially after the match that just happened, this crowd needed to wake up. They're staring at each other. And then... There's glimmers of hope. You know, there's glimmers of hope. There's a strap. 
When, 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 when our boy here, when, when, when our boy Jay pulls out a strap, I'm like, okay, this is starting to get interesting. And, and he takes it to Roman, don't get me wrong. But then there is no more, uh, there's no more strap. It just disappeared. I don't know what happened to the strap, but it was one of the, you know, one of the most interesting things going on and it just disappeared. And then they decide to walk and brawl. They walk and brawl into the crowd. Silo Sokoa appears in nowhere, gets involved. And wasn't this match supposed to bar any type of interference? Wasn't that the, like, wasn't that an actual stipulation to this match? There was, no one could interfere. And then at the first possible moment, there's interferences, right? And, uh, you know, as, as long and plodding as the opener was, as the opening to this match was, and the walk and brawl uh, was, the minute Solo Sikoa showed up, everything went downhill. Boring, dragged, nothing happened. This shit, billed as a blood feud, was some of the most boring stuff I have seen in a major league main event in a long, long time. Do you know what? how far I have to go back in my brain to try and figure this all? To try and figure out a comparison, I should say. Brock Lesnar, Goldberg, WrestleMania 20. That's the only main event that, I, that, that comes to mind where I'm like, yeah, this was terrible. This was bad. No, not 1943. Bobby Means, nice to see you. Welcome to the chat. And this was the main event. And I'm not into the bloodline stuff. See, this is the thing, is that probably people who are super involved into the bloodline feud and who follow it religiously uh, are probably, you know, they were probably super into it but I wasn't. I couldn't care less about this. Like this, this is not a story that interests me. Whatever drama is going on on a on a wrestling in a wrestling program, you know, is of no concern to me, and it distracts from my enjoyment of a match. If what happens builds in the match and creates the match and makes it better, then normally I don't have to watch like weeks and weeks of this. I. Sh I, this was billed to me and everyone, tribal combat, it's a blood feud, it's another way to put it. I was I was excited, I was, okay, how far are these guys going to go? Well, they, did, they barely crossed the road. They barely drove, got out of the driveway. You know, they pulled the car out a little bit, you know, and then they saw clouds coming in and were like, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe we'll wait. It looks like rain, let's go back inside kind of thing. So at the very least, if, if the nonsense, if the angle, the story is minimal and doesn't keep us away from a good match, I'm okay with it. I'm absolutely okay with it. But here, the Bloodline stuff powered this match. It was the reason why it existed and why it had to be brutal. So you can't have one without the other here. And yet, you know, WWE fans are rejecting it. 
WWE fans are calling this a jump the shark moment. You know? Jimmy runs in, takes out Jay. Everyone is confounded. Even me. I don't know. I I, I don't know what's going on. I, you know, in the seven-minute package that, you know, they showed us Jimmy doing a stretcher job and now he's back and he's on Roman's side. So the story is exactly back to where it is. It's, you know, it's the monthly betrayal. It's, you know, the monthly betrayal, the monthly Roman scowls at people and now they're going to have the trial of Jimmy uh, of Jay Uso at some point like I have no idea how they're going to end this but and and listen it's it's doing good business for them you can't take that away this is you know the silver lining is that clearly WWE fans like this it's but instead of building on the story they're rehashing shit you know, good storytelling would have you go down different avenues. They'd have you do, there'd be truly surprising things, but this has been rinse and repeat. The, the bloodline is in WCW 2000 territory right now. Swerving for the sake of swerving because, you know, they don't know how to keep this story going while the business is so good. You know, they're like, oh, we can't end it now. All right, well, what do we do? Creativity. True creativity would allow them to build on it, take it in different directions, but that's not what we have here. Ultimately, it's a storyline that I'm not invested in. And objectively, this was a half hour, a half hour, 30 minutes, 30 minute disaster of a main event, a match which should have been a plant the flag moment for this storyline for WWE, a keystone event which had years of bad blood and personal animosity going, fueling all of this. But I can't recall, like I said, such a poor, poor main event effort outside of Brock Goldberg at WrestleMania 20. I can only assume that WWE fans at this point have figured out that there is no plan for this story. They don't know what they're doing anymore. They're throwing things at the wall. They want to keep this going because it's doing good for them. It's popping quarter hours. Um, it's uh, driving merch. It's probably driving ticket sales. Like They want to make sure that this stays alive as long as possible. But what we got, what we ended up getting is legitimately one of the worst matches of the year. And then on top of it all, Roman Reigns got hurt. We learned today, Roman Reigns got injured in the match. They, I don't think there's any word right now on his, uh, uh, on his status, how injured he is, uh, how things are going. Roman, are you okay? Um, how long he'll be out, how severe, we don't know anything outside of the fact that he got injured in this match. And I'd like to know where. Because this was the lightest fucking blood feud I have ever seen.
terrible match. Which ends up creating a mediocre show that nonetheless had good moments. Chat just made me, reminded me of a very important detail nonetheless. Um, WWE break, breaking up their seminal tag team. <laughs> because of course they will, right? But you know what I think? Look, I, I honestly think that on Friday, on Friday Night Smackdown, they're all going to get in the ring and they're all going to hug it out. They're, you're going to have... You're going to have Roman in the ring with Jimmy and Solo and Roman's going to be like, Oos, you're my cousin, Oos. You're like a brother to me, Oos. And you showed me, Oos, at SummerSlam that you had something in you, Oos. You showed that you're ready. You might not be ready to become Tribal Chief, Oos, but when the time comes, I will leave it in your hands, Oos. But you have to come back and join us, Oos. And then they're all going to fucking hug and it's all going to be fine and we're all going to be back to square one. I'm, I am just saying. Uh, why don't we uh, have a little word about uh, WWE's uh, uh, earning calls or earnings call that happened last week? Look, I'm not going to dive into it at this point very deeply because it, it, it's it's kind of old news at this point. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, by the time I did the podcast, I was doing my podcast on, on Tuesdays, you know, it was already. Look. It just, the, the the nothing really aligned for me to do some proper coverage of it so I'm you know I'm not gonna sit here and and do that because I think because uh, I think it's been covered quite a bit and you know WrestleNomics has some fantastic uh, breakdowns of it all but um, you know broad strokes WWE is making a shit ton of money revenue. Uh, $410.3 million, the largest quarter in the history of the company. Operating income's at $87.3 million for a net income, ergo profits, of $52 million. Um, no one is really surprised that they're making a lot of money. However, a lot of people are surprised that they are making that much, that much money. Uh, the revenue was over expectations. But there is one thing that surprised a lot of people. One thing that did, you know, sort of catch people off guard. Uh, this was uh, re- this was released on August second in the w- in WWE's 10Q, which is the quarterly report that's filed with the SEC. WWE disclosed that Vince McMahon was being subpoenaed. Or was subpoenaed, I should say. Let me read the thing here. As previously disclosed on June 17, 2022, a special committee of the board of directors was formed on June 15, 2022 to investigate allegations of misconduct by Vince McMahon. A previously disclosed, as previously disclosed, the special committee investigation was completed during the fourth quarter of 2022. However, related government investigations remain ongoing. On July 17, 2023, federal law enforcement agents executed a search warrant and served a federal grand jury subpoena on Mr. McMahon. No charges have been brought in these investigations. The company has received voluntary and compulsory 
legal demands for documents, including from federal law enforcement and regulatory agencies concerning the investigation and related subject matters. So we're all deducing here, but I think it's also pretty clear that the subpoena and the, the, the search warrant were uh, related to the NDAs that, the NDA payments, I should say, that Vince McMahon uh, performed to uh, the to uh, uh, allegedly uh, uh, women who were um, uh, who you know, who who had been uh, uh, who had received sexual advances. Let's put it that way. Um, allegedly, of course, by Vince and John Laurinaitis, and but this also includes uh, uh, payments to Donald Trump as well. Uh, all these uh, payments that were not properly recorded as company expenses. WWE then sent out a message uh, on August tw- uh, on August 2nd as well uh, to all staff with some comments from Vince McMahon and an official comment from the WWE itself. First of all, let's read Vince's comment. In 2022, WWE formed a special committee to review allegations of misconduct against me. That review was concluded in November 2022 following an extensive investigation. Throughout this experience, I have always denied any intentional wrongdoing and continue to do so. I am confident that the government's investigation will be resolved without any findings of wrongdoing. I am focused complete on completing the recovery process from my recent spinal surgery and on closing our transaction with Endeavor which will create one of the preeminent global sports and entertainment brands. As for WWE's statement, we believe this is a continuation of the investigation that commenced last summer. WWE has cooperated throughout and fully understands um, and fully understands and respects the government's need for a complete process. So yeah, so this all seems, like I said, seems to be related to um, to the uh, to the NDAs but also, you know, all the you know, all of these things, all of these payments that Vince should have declared as expenses uh, of the company. During the Q and A, we had Nick Khan as well say we continue to full, fully cooperate with any investigation. Outside of that, we are not going to comment on any legal matter. So that's very interesting. Doubly interesting then, you know, that uh, uh, just a few days previous to that, previous to when this, uh, the subpoena was, uh, was, was revealed within the, uh, the 10Q, it was announced that Vince was, going, was undergoing spinal surgery. It was reported on July 28 that it happened and it, that it was previous, pretty intensive and then it happened the previous week, the week before. McMahon is currently on medical leave from the company with no target date listed for his return. McMahon is still the executive chairman of the company, right? But until he has a full recovery, uh, he would not be working with the company. So no one should expect uh, the, uh, you know, no one should really expect, you know, late changes on TV beyond you know maybe some tweaking that happens on the same level right now but um i so this is all interesting right because 
Look, you cannot but not think of, and I know many, many, like this is not, you know, an original thought for me. Many, many people thought the same thing. This this is very much, yeah, and the chat sees it too. This, this sounds very fishy, not unlike the last time Vince was, taken to task by the uh, by the feds and had to bust out a neck brace because suddenly he had like a, a neck issue. Now it's a spinal issue. I'll tell you this. Look, um, at his advanced age and with the routine that he has, you know, the, the weightlifting and whatnot, and, you know, he's taken his fair share of bumps over the years as well and so on and so forth. I think it's, um, I think it's, it's fair to assume that the surgery for for his back for his spine is legitimate I, like there's uh, you know you would you'd think there's a case for that that can be made it's not something that's just completely coming out of left field you know it's like hey you know i had a you know i have a, a tumor on the brain or whatever it's like no this this is something that corroborates and probably didn't want to have that get out too much because Vince is a very proud guy. This is the guy, you know, who says, you know, who doesn't like sneezing. He doesn't like when people sneeze because you're not supposed to be sick kind of thing, you know? Um, so, you know, it's interesting, but I'm, I do have to ask, like, I do, ha- I do wonder, what is Vince going to do if he's not working? Because this is a guy that that's all he works and he goes to the gym that's all he does he goes out once every 15 years you know to go have a birthday meal with john cena or what the fuck you know and that's that's the extent of it so so you know it, it was stated that you know he's he's uh he's been removed from his duties for now you know he's taking a leave from from everything and again, look, I'm not saying that the coincidence is not is not um, is not immense here. Like this, you know, if you want a tinfoil hat for this for a bit here, he could absolutely. This is surgery. Maybe he's been needing to have for the past five years or so, and he's been putting it off. And then all of a sudden, you know, this pops in, and he's like, oh, "Let's schedule a surgery. Get me out of here. Play the sympathy card. I'm an old man." He'll do it if he needs it, you know. But, um, you know, I, I I still wonder, you know, what he's going to be doing at home doing nothing. Like, not working at all? I I really have trouble believing it. At the very least, he's going to be watching the product. At the very least, he's sending notes, right? He's got to be on his, his iPad or whatever, sending notes. At the very least. But you know what? I think. I think that. Um, I don't think anything is going to come out of this. You know. If he was able to. If he was able to brute force his way back into the company, don't let anyone tell you otherwise, being forced out of his company, but then forcing his way back in and just have everything be, yeah, yeah, super hunky-dory, no big deal, everything's fine. I don't know. 
I, 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 I don't know if, uh, I don't know if this will, will damage him or even ding him. I, I think at the very least, you know, I'll keep my expectations very low. Because this is, you know, money issues. The SEC, like, I don't know what type of... I'm not going to pretend that I understand the extent of their power. I'm assuming that there could potentially be jail time. There's absolutely going to be fines. But he it, he is going to be okay, you know? I, I, there's nothing here, I feel, that is going to spell the death of... Vincent Kennedy McMahon here. Because look, in the meantime, in the meantime, uh, you know, you have Ari Emanuel from Endeavor who's doing the earnings call and he's saying, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, the, we're going we're gonna to move forward here and the deal to combine uh, WWE and, uh, and UFC is going to happen next month. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, the deal... I'm going to read a, an article here off of uh, Post Wrestling from our boy Andrew Thompson. The deal to combine WWE and UFC within T TKO Group Holdings is expected to close next month. Excuse me. Uh, Endeavor released their second uh, their second quarter results, and one of the highlights in the report is the transaction to combine UFC and WWE within TKO Group Holdings is expected to close in mid to late September 2023. So that's happening. At, you know, they 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 projected to do that in in you know early fall for a while. It's clearly happening. Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel is going to serve as CEO of TKO Group Holdings, and Vince McMahon will be executive chairman. On the call, um, on the call, and uh, Emanuel also added that there are plans underway to make cost savings. And synergies happen immediately upon closing. Now, what does that mean? What, what is this corporate speak? What does that mean in plain old simple English? Well, people are going to lose their jobs. But again, this was something that was bound to happen. We knew this was going to happen. This is, this is the quintessential uh, thing with uh, 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 mergers is that eventually when, when the thing does happen redundancies happen yes future endeavors exactly um, there will there will be uh, you know redundancies will, will will occur within two companies coming together so people are losing their jobs um, and you know I know a lot of people are saying you know making jokes about talent and whatnot and you know I always kind of feel weird you know joking about people losing their jobs you know it's not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want someone to point their finger and laugh at me if I lose my job. But I think like, I, I think mostly office staff are going to be impacted from this. Um, people working in production as well. I, I, I think those are going to be the two uh, principal areas where, um, you know, administration, office, production, TV production, uh, event uh, event production; those are going to be the the areas where I expect to be the 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 most cuts. I would be 
surprised if talent gets the axe. I'm not saying that it wouldn't happen, but I'd be surprised. I think there's, I think, you know, as opposed to, like I said, because technically mergers are mostly about getting rid of redundancies. That's essentially what it is. Creating more values on and so forth. Um, I think talent is on a special scale. I don't think it's the same thing. Like no one's going to take a look at Becky Lynch's contract and say, well, she's paid too much. Uh, hit the bricks, Becky, you know, kind of thing. Like, I don't think that's that, what this is about. You know, maybe, maybe they'll look at uh, uh, Gallows and Anderson's contracts. And they'll be like, well, who are these? Who are these schmoes? What, what's a top dollar? You know, maybe, but honestly, like I, I, you know, I think, I think this is going to be a lot of, a lot of office finagling, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that uh, we will not be privy to. Again, don't think it's not going to happen, but I would be surprised if it does. So, I mean, you know, that's pretty much it when it comes to, when it comes to to to, to that part of the news. I'm, you know. I'm sorry I don't have like, you know, a long extended take on Vince and the SEC and, you know, getting subpoenaed and search warrants. I don't like, you know, at some point I was like, oh, is he a co-conspirator? You know, but that's not where we're at today. Um, instead, let's move on to the world of All Elite Wrestling, where we uh, where it was confirmed last week that the Elite have re-signed with AEW and came out in the middle of the week last week and was confirmed by the boys themselves on last week's edition of AEW Dynamite. Uh, I would like to uh, I would like to bring up uh, Dave's reporting on it from The Observer uh, because he, uh, he has some extensive uh, details regarding it all. Let me get this out of the way. There we go. So he starts by saying that there was no specific length of time mentioned on the deals. Past, this, past the term several years, and the belief is that the agreement was to keep the time frame under wraps. Now, not as late as yesterday in BTE, um, the uh, Matt Jackson and uh, and the rest of the elite were doing the bit, you know, where Matt Jackson was uh, screwed them out of a contract, you know, all that. You know, the, they've been doing this bit for a few weeks now. Uh, and now he was apologizing and so on and so forth. And now they all signed contracts and they all, they're all still stuck with wrestling. They're st- they still have to continue wrestling. They're not millionaires without wrestling. And uh, he said something to the effect of, well, you guys are stuck. We're all stuck together for the next seven years. Now, it could be part of the bit, but BTE, you know, we know that they also talk in code. <laughs> they talk in code. Sometimes they drop little... Little nuggets of information here and here and there, but uh, look, Dave says the unconfirmed story going around was that they were for four years, and Adam Page on Dynamite that was then announced that the signing did make mention of there being two more episodes, which would be four years, but that was more of a quick remark and doesn't matter. He wouldn't take that as conversation. He being Dave, yeah. So look, four to seven years. We'll see what happens. A key to both the Roosh, because Roosh as well resigned. Look, a lot of resignings. Roosh, the Elite, uh, Kip Sabian, and the Dark Order. 
A key to both of these is dollar figures that Khan put up for all of them. In the case of Roosh, the WWE was aware of the offer number and decided to not compete with it. In the case of the Elite, while citing the better schedule was a key, Khan's dollar figure was enough combined with the schedule and the executive positions to make them happy enough to sign months before, in the case of Paige and the Young Bucks, that their current deals expired and enough to make them sign without waiting for what would be expected to be a significant WWB offer. The belief is that these deals were finalized before the Boston show, the Blood and Guts show, of course, or at least largely agreed upon when Omega did the interview talking about how the group would be staying together. As noted, WWE had significant interest in Omega, whose deal time frame had expired on February 1st. But his time frame was extended due to his taking nine months off for injury. The other three were under contract until the end of 2023, so WWE wouldn't have been able to pitch for them for many months. No formal offers could have been legally made for uh, for months, but Omega was number one on the company's most wanted list. We Haven't we heard this before? Jay White is number one on the list, and so on and so forth is number one on the list. All four would have been in a great position in an open market, so Khan must have made a strong deal to get them to stay without even strongly playing the WWE card. The Bucks, Page, and Omega were repped by Barry Bloom in their negotiations, who has also in the past been the agent of Paul Levesque and is currently the agent of Chris Jericho, Bill Goldberg, and many others. So, um, <clears throat> so, the what I what, what I take away from this what I take away from this is Tony Khan because you know the Young Bucks talked about uh, having NBA level an NBA level contract right what I'm hearing here is you know Tony Khan re-signing dudes throwing money at them like gobs and gobs at them to keep them in the company them, Roosh, and then the Dark Order, and then Kip Sabian all happening at once. This feels like a guy who was on the verge of signing a very lucrative rights deal for his wrestling outfit. Don't you think? Like, I don't think all of these things are. Um, I don't think all. I don't think all these things are coincidental. You know, the rumors have started back up recently. We're back talking about a billion dollar deal for AEW, you know, it's, it's not finalized. They're still in negotiations, but the rumors are starting back up. And look, if I'm a guy that I know where, where I know I have a billion dollars coming in and, and I'm wrestlers knowing that this billion dollar deal is coming in, well, we're playing both these hands here and we're like, all right, well, we want more money. How much money? This much money. Okay. Like it does feel like AEW is about to get a, um, that AEW is about to get a shit ton of money, to put it in very simple, in, in very simple terms. You know, the deal isn't finalized. Uh, the deal wasn't finalized, but 
it is not finalized is what I'm trying to say. But, you know, you could potentially see, right? You could potentially see um, AEW nonetheless having some kind of guarantee that the money's coming in and then they're like, well, let's let's spend it. Let's make sure that, uh, that we keep the people that are important. Because look, you know, I know there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, feelings that go around with the elite. A lot of people, uh, you know, feel very passionate about the elite. I think it would have been extremely strange for the elite to leave all elite wrestling. You know, you, you can have all the mitigated, mitigated takes you want. Oh, well, you know, as long as Omega stays, I don't mind if the Bucks leave, you know. Oh, I don't mind if Paige leaves, but, you know, we have to keep the Bucks or whatever. It's like, it would have been very strange. It would have been very strange. Just as, it would have been even more strange than when Cody left. You know, it would have been much more uh, it would have been much more different a feeling, a reaction if if the rest of the elite, the rest of the guys who set this company up decided to depart as well. That would have created some a hellscape of a discourse, but in in all, you know, quite frankly would not have been a good look. would have been a little strange and aew would have felt a little off quite frankly uh Meltzer adds that Bloom negotiated all the deals simultaneously which helped him leverage this is interesting too because we had all heard about uh Omega and the Bucks and the Jacksons negotiating as a team but never Paige this all came up Paige was included in this so that's pretty cool all four had made a pact to stick together and they had been going back and forth between WWE and AEW for months about where to end up. They all agreed at the start the majority vote would be what they would all adhere to regarding where and when to sign. Dave even had a quote from one of the four saying, you'd probably be surprised who voted where. And this story was actually corroborated by the Jacksons who popped in on uh, on uh, Swerve Strickland's Swerve City podcast where the Bucks said that yes, it was the majority vote that was going to make it happen here. They negotiated as a group. This is what Matt Jackson said. He said, I don't read any of it, but I know people are thinking, oh, how surprising the elite resigned. Bro, we didn't even know if we were going to resign. We all negotiated together as a team. And in regards to the votes, Matt added, the votes did not line up every time. There were a lot of emotions in the last year, as the world knows. So one day, this person's voting to leave, this person's voting to go. We weren't even on the same page the whole time. At one point, Nick brought up Matt, even considered retiring, then continued to wrestle for either promotion. I had to talk him out of that, he said. So, is it, so I can absolutely imagine the scenario in which, you know, you have the guys sitting around and, you know, doing these votes where it's like, look, we have to come to an accord. We have to decide. And you end up with, you know, you have 
the whole CM Punk bullshit happening. So of course there's a time where they're like, no, we're hitting the bricks. And then one day they're like, oh, maybe we'll stay. And then CM Punk goes on fucking Instagram and starts burying the company, starts burying Chris Jericho, starts burying Dave Meltzer, starts stirring up some shit. You know, does a, the whole fucking thing with the with the upfronts. They're like, no, this is bullshit. I want out of this. I can't blame them. I can't blame any of them for waffling during that period. I think it is a sign nonetheless. And on top of, you know, FTR challenging them at Wembley. We're going to talk about that uh, soon, I hope. Um, but, um, you know, I think it is a sign nonetheless that things have fallen into a certain level of normalcy that I wouldn't say it's normal what's going on right now but a sense of contentment or at the very least you know everyone is cool with how things are set up right now so everyone's ready to move forward you know uh, things have clearly thawed between the Bucks and FTR things have thawed as well between CM Punk and Kenny Omega you know we've heard that they actually um, they actually had some form of reconciliation but the Bucks and and um, and Punk are still at odds. Is this an omen that maybe down the line all of these grown men will sit down and hash things out and just think about what's best for business and do what's best for business? Oh, yeah. You'd hope so. With the money that they're being that's being shoveled at them, you'd think they might be able to 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 put in put in a little effort here. Stop all this nonsense. Because no, you know, I don't think CM Punk being exiled to collision or whatever way you want to phrase it, being quarantined on collision is a, uh, I don't think it's a work. I think that is a legitimate thing that has been set up to quell temperaments. But, you know, I talked about it when it was, when they were, when the, uh, when it was rumored that they were going to do it and so on and so forth and then when they finally did it this is not a sustainable situation it's not sustainable to have one of your big stars be only on one show not just because of creative reasons but because of oh this bar this gang in the locker room doesn't want to talk to this gang in the locker room like that's petty super nonsense you know You know, if anything, you know, if anyone wanted to be hopeful that the um, that the elite and CM Punk might finally like bury the hatchet, not become friends, but just bury the hatchet and move on and work together. They should. They should feel hopeful for that. I feel hopeful. I feel a little more. Uh, I see the possibility of it much more now. We'll give it a few months. Because again, you know, there's one guy on the other side of this aisle. I, and I, you know, I'll, I said once, I'll say it a thousand times. It's not a question of if 
he blows up again. It's a question of when he blows up again. And stuff, but ah, we're going a little late. And I do want to update everyone on what's going on with the G1 in case you're 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 not in the uh, you're not in the know like I am with my daily coverage, which is still ongoing, and we'll be back tomorrow to close up D block. We'll be back on Thursday for the quarterfinals. We'll be back on Saturday for the semifinals, and we'll be back on Sunday for the finals. And a bit of a postmortem as well of of the uh, of the event. So it's a good time to subscribe to the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. So since we last talked, there are three blocks that have closed off the round robin um, portion of the tournament. IWGP heavyweight champion Sonata made it to the top. He won the block. Not only did he win the block, he swept the block. A perfect score. Uh, hasn't happened in multiple years. I think it's Fujita back in 2005 that did it last. Something to that effect. Uh, so he finishes the block with 14 points. And Hikaleo, of all people, qualified in the runner-up spot with eight points. If you want to tell me you saw that coming, you're a liar. You're a big, fat, fancy-pants liar. No one saw that coming. No one! Um, but, uh, but, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier, you know, kind of what we were talking about a little earlier, um during the uh during the 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 question and answer segment that we did uh during the live stream um when you look at the story that you know sometimes this 2020 thing uh, 2020 uh vision is is worth it kind of thing uh <laughs> what's the expression i'm losing my mind here uh hindsight is always 2020 you look at the story here because Everyone was expecting the the musketeers, the the Rainbow Musketeers. Jesus Christ! That's a super chat song that scared the shit out of me for some reason. I thought someone was barging in, but we're good now. Thought you guys were gonna get a little reality TV. We'll get to the super chat in a second. Jesus Christ! Uh, <laughs> the but the. Um, the see the idea here is that um, the uh, the the idea ultimately is that everyone thought that the musketeers there you go I'm getting back on track all everyone thought the musketeers were going to at least be contenders right there was going to be one of them that that at least was going to qualify none of them qualified not Shoda not Yoda not Ren not one not a single one of the three qualified for um, for the 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 playoffs. Uh, had draws amongst themselves. People even said, "Hey, Kaito Kiyomiya, he's the guest coming in. He's former GHG champion." No, he was he was squashed, not squashed, but he was, you know, told he was told to hit the showers, go back home, pally pal. You know, it's a, it's time for you to hit the bricks, um, like you know. And Hikaleo had a dominant last stretch of his tournament. Setting him up as a dominant monster, which is a you know someone that something that Ghetto really likes. He likes himself a dominant monster to come up against one of his favorite baby faces. He did it with Jonah a couple of years ago with uh, Kazuchika Okada, uh, and here we are. We're going a bit full circle, and Hikaleo's in the quarters, and he's 
probably going to be facing Tetsuya Naito. If I had any money to bet, that's what I'd do. Um, this is interesting. It, it, it's interesting that Hikaleo's moving forward, but it also says, in my opinion, that the story that he's trying to tell with none of these young guys qualifying is because uh, is because uh, none of the young guys were ready this year. And they're going to have to struggle a little more to really make their mark in the G1, right? Uh, same goes with El Fantasmo, and we'll see in a second, that he didn't get himself over. This is his second G1. These guys, these guys, this is all their first appearance. So again, it was like, okay, we're, we're, this is the kind of storytelling that exists in Japan and that makes a ton of sense and that has true foresight looking into what's coming up down the road. So essentially all he's saying here is that the Musketeers, it's not their time. We still have our top guys and we are going to continue building these top guys. Imagine how much more exciting it will be, let's say for Shota Umino to do his best, try two, three G1s and maybe on the fourth, the fourth one will be the big one. And we'll have to had time to think about it and process it and go through the drama with him until he really gets his win. And that's the, that's the kind of storytelling I get behind. So it's weird, it's strange, but it also makes sense. That Will it make for a compelling match? Ah, eh, probably not. Yeah, quite frankly. But Sonata Hikaleo... They're up there. Kazuchika Okada won block B with 12 points and Will Ospreay in, on the final night defeated El Fantasmo uh, to uh, uh, to qualify as well. He'll be in, his, uh, he'll be the runner-up therefore in second place. Um, yeah, I mean, outside of a, 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 outside of an excellent match that Ospreay and Fantasmo had, uh, outside of that, it was a critical moment in the tournament for both of these guys. It could have been a choice to have Fantasmo move forward. And I was sort of leaning that way because of all the rumors that Will Ospreay's contract has done uh, this year. And that he's, well, in, on January 1st. And that he's planning on leaving New Japan. I was like, all right, well, here we go. He's, you know, out, the, you know, you leave the territory, you put people over kind of thing. But no, not, uh, not quite yet. Might still be just at the rumor stage at this point. I mean, he is U.S. champion still. So we've got Osprey and Okada in uh, in the quarterfinals. So that's good news for matches moving forward. Block C concluded today with David Finley and Evil qualifying. It's a Bullet Club. <laughs> it's a Bullet Club uh, 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 steal here. Evil had one of the greatest slash infuriating matches. Today, if you want my full report on that, you should listen to my G1 recap because that was insane. Uh, and uh, Dave Finley had a very good showing as well against Eddie Kingston, a great match. And uh, so that's where we're at. So yeah, Eddie Kingston's out of the tournament. Tama Tonga's out of the tournament. Shingo Takagi, these were all contenders. They uh, they will not be moving forward. Um. And you know, I, I I know a lot of people were disappointed that Eddie Kingston didn't make it. Uh, a lot of people questioning the sanity of not having Eddie Kingston go forward. But you know what? Here's the here's the deal that uh, that a lot of people have to keep in mind. 
when it comes to uh, when it comes to, to to New Japan in 2023. Uh, this is a rebuilding year for them, like a seriously legitimate year of rebuilding. They're doing uh, uh, they're doing joint shows with other promotions. They are focusing on their new talent, the talent of the future, uh, because a lot of the guys current the current top stars. They're aging, they're getting up there, they're not able to go as much and have these great matches like they, as easily as they once could. So it's time to invest in the future and build in the now. So there's a lot of that going on. Uh, so it doesn't really surprise me that the outsiders, Eddie Kingston, Kaito Kiyomiya, are set to the curb because you kind of want your New Japan guys to be the top guys, right? You kind of want those guys to be to be the ones who move forward you don't want the weirdos dropping in for a tournament and then leaving to outclass your guys and this is something and it's also something true when you looked at the at the best of super juniors this year mike bailey aside but you, you'll see my point in a second when you compare the, the 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 best of super juniors this year as opposed to 2022 the 2022 one was filled with Gaijin, people from coming coming from everywhere, you know, uh, in that tournament. So, and this year was just New Japan guys, except for Mike Bailey, and well, I guess Titan. But Titan is also Lij. But that that one, the, yeah, look, that one's a little muddier. But it was all New Japan guys. So that's what they want to do. They want to focus on their own people, putting their own stuff forward. So this. You know, having the quarterfinals be made up of all New Japan guys makes a lot of sense. I mean, after all, they're in control. It's their company. They get this. It's their tournament. They get to book it whichever way they want. And the G1 is always a kickoff point for stories down the road, for the big stories for Wrestle Kingdom. That's their that's their principal concern. Not putting AEW guys over. That makes sense. Not putting Noah guys over. Unless it benefits them in some way. But, yes, I did see Eddie Kingston and uh, and Koala. And it was the most gloriously authentic thing to see Eddie Kingston be completely disarmed. You know, completely disarmed. Stars in his eye. Looking like a fucking nerd. And I say that lovingly, just like us, when we meet, you know, our, our, you know, the you know, big superstars, when we do the meet and greets and we're like, hey, I really like your stuff. Thank you. You know, and you never know quite, not quite to say, and he's saying, I, you know, your match 93 Kasawa with Misawa and, you know, that's nerd stuff that I would say. And, and Kawad is great about it. He's like, yes, you know, yes, thank you. You know, kind of thing. And it's. A glorious moment. I thought that was fantastic. Unfortunately, will not carry over into the rest of the tournament, but he's still doing the tour, so he's not heading back to the U.S. just yet. But uh, you, you look, this is a, a guy who had a very good tournament. I, I'd even go as far as to say that it was it was better than I was expecting from him. So that's also very good. To me, he over-delivered, and, uh, and I'm sure he's very happy with the results. And I don't think it's the last time we're going to see uh, Eddie Kingston in Japan. So that's where we're at with the uh, with the blocks that are closed. So tomorrow, 
as I'm recording this, it's tomorrow, but by the time you're listening to this, the block is probably already done. We have Jeff Cobb, Zack Sabre Jr., and Tetsuya Naito all at eight points. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Hiroki and Hiroki Goto are at six points. It's still anyone's ball game. There's a lot of scenarios here. Jeff Cobb has tiebreakers over everyone. Um, uh, you know, uh, 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 Tetsuya Naito and Hiroshi Tanahashi are fighting in the main event. That theirs is their theirs is the last match. So if Tetsuya Naito wins, he qualifies. If Tanahashi wins, he, it's not guaranteed that he qualifies because other people have a lot of. Um, a lot of people have uh, 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 tiebreakers over him. So listen, if you want, if you want the scope of it, if you want the, like the full scope of it all, I invite you, with great sincerity, to listen to my recap today that that I that I posted today for night uh, uh, fifteen, um, where where you know I try my best to break down the scenarios and give you a good idea of what's going to happen. So. Last night of round robin action, tomorrow, or at least August 9th, then we head over on August uh, the 10th, Thursday, for the quarterfinals, so we're not screwing around here, we're going straight into the quarterfinals, semifinals on Saturday, finals on Sunday, it'll be a hell of a ride. I don't want to spoil anything, as far as my views and thoughts, but you know what, I really like the G1 this year. I thought it was, I thought there was a lot more good. I've over the past couple of years there have been a couple of miserable ones, pandemic. So you know, does whatever it, it did whatever it had to do. But there were some miserable G ones. This one I have. Listen, just to keep up, you, you know, to help me out, because this is not the kind of shit that I I put out in public. Because you know, star ratings and what, but I do put star ratings on um i do put star ratings on these matches just to help me refer to where i am you know the, the matches the or the matches that i really liked and just to keep track of stuff when we do you know postmortems and stuff like that it's not stuff i'm going to publish because uh, you know i don't want i don't want people pouring over my 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 ratings and so on and so forth it's stupid but i have 28 matches that I've put four stars or more. 28 matches. Which, these are matches that I consider great. I'm like, yeah, let's go. As far as, uh, so, that's what I have right now. 28 matches. There'll probably be a couple more added today. And as for my top five, my own personal top five so far, there's been some movement. There's been a match that's been bumped from the top five. Let's recount them. Number five, Eddie Kingston versus Tomohiro Ishii, July 26. Tai Chi versus Will Ospreay from July 15. Shingo Takagi versus Hanare at number three from the, the July 19 show. At number two, Kazuchika Okada versus Tai Chi from the July 21st show. And my number one match of the tournament so far is El Fantasmo versus Will Ospreay from August 5th. It's, if you want to know, it's my first five-star match of the tournament. That was incredible. 
and I highly suggest you go check it out. All, all five of these matches. And I give recommendations on every night on top of that. So there's still a few more of those to come. So that's where we're at with the G1 so far. I can't hammer home enough that um, I can't hammer home enough that uh, uh, the G1 is coming to a close. And I, but I will still be covering it on a daily basis. So it's a good time to subscribe if you're into it. If you want to keep up with the tournament, you want my thoughts, you want my analysis, you want my recommendations. I'm still around doing that. So there you have it. Uh, I guess this is going. Uh, I guess this is going to lead us into the conclusion of the weekly wrestling inspection. Before we wrap things up, DGMC left us a super chat with one more question. Thank you very much for the super chat, DGMC. I appreciate it. Says one more question. AJ Lee coming in to help AEW with coaching creative for the women's for the women is a potential HR nightmare, right? TK hire Allison Danger, please. I think Allison Danger is a much better choice than a couple of coaches they have there right now. Uh, but AJ Lee is that's just asking for trouble, begging for trouble. I wouldn't touch that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even consider it. It's just, it's just begging for trouble. I like AJ Lee. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it's a, it's a little stickier. It's a, it's a little stickier than just, hey, AJ Lee's great. No, yes, she is, but you know. But uh, on that note, we are going to wrap up tonight's edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes show. If you are listening on demand right now, you don't quite understand what this question thing was about. I record live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. We do a live stream and I have, you know, community activities. We do things together. And I had a Q&A tonight. So this was a question that came a little, that came in after the official Q&A period. So if you ever want to pop in and ask me questions, 7 p.m. every Tuesday is when we record. So there you go. You can come and join us there. Or you can just, you know, watch it on demand, which is absolutely fine as well. Or listen to it on your favorite podcast application, which is what you're doing right now, probably either or. Thank you very much. Remember to leave a like on YouTube. A subscription as well would be a great help. Or uh, also a, uh, you know, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. All things that help out the podcast grow tremendously. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to allow me to regale you with wrestling tales this week. I will be back tomorrow for G1. I will be back Thursday for the AEW Dynamite review. Look, I'm doing all sorts of things. I'm going to be around wherever you decide to come back. I'll see you next time.